0: Hello, hello, hello. This is Mistakes Out Loud, and this is Abby Johnson. And I'm so glad to have you on the show with us today. Um, this is our, our second podcast that we have recorded, and I have my friend Heather Gardner with me. Hello, Heather.
1: Hello.
0: Um, she was with us last week, and um, I guess we can just sort of dive right into some things that we have... Seen and uh that are affecting the pro-life movement first this happened a while ago but i think that we should talk about the women's march um i attended the women's march and uh it was it was um quite anti-climatic it was it was like um we're gonna get you know Several hundred thousands of people together. We're gonna have them wear all these same hats, and then um, we're gonna do. Then we're then we're just gonna roam around for the rest of the day. We have no plan. We have uh, really no no action going forward. Um, They had speakers there that very angry, very even in you know sort of inciting violence mm-hmm. um, against the president and uh, so anyway, my thinking was so what my thought was is I'm you know roaming around with all these women so what now? I felt like they really missed an opportunity to do something worthwhile instead of just all coming together to DC and with their hats, so lo and behold, they come out with something called a day without women. It's on March eighth. Um, that will have passed by the time this podcast airs. Um, but I think we should talk about this because when I originally heard that they're going to have a day without women, I thought, well, fantastic. That means that every abortion facility and every Planned Parenthood facility should be closed that day, right? Because it is primarily women who staff these facilities. And uh, Planned Parenthood is a sponsor of the Women's March, so it would be highly, highly hypocritical of them to tell other women don't show up for work let's let's show the man right like how how much women are needed in the workforce um but then let's keep our own centers open that doesn't make any sense right so we're gonna see i'm i'm gonna make some phone calls to planned parenthood clinics on march 8th um and I, I'm am just gonna see what they say. I'm gonna I'm going to say to them, "Hi. Today is a day without women, and your employer, Planned Parenthood, is a sponsor of this event. Why are you at work today?" I want to see. I want to see what they're gonna say.
1: It should be very interesting.
0: It should. It should be. Very interesting. So that was, I guess, what came out of this several hundred thousand person march on DC is we're gonna not show up to work one day. I'm not really sure what that's gonna accomplish. You know what happened with Day Without a Mexican, uh which was a couple weeks ago, or I don't know, it was Day Without an Immigrant was that it? Day Without a, There was this movie, Day Without a Mexican. So, um, which was actually pretty interesting. But day without an immigrant. Okay, so all of these here in Texas, it was primarily uh, people from Mexico, Mexicans, um, who didn't show up to work, and they all got fired. <laughs> so uh, it, was, it was sort of interesting because they, they, they thought they were doing this big thing and supporting this big cause, and they all lost their jobs. So way to go immigrants um, so that is that other interesting news that is going on we read recently that in Iceland uh, this doctor was making this he was making some remarks uh, to an assembly in Ireland dr. Peter McParland he's an OBGEN. In Iceland, he was talking about how hopeful things are looking for Iceland uh, because he says that every single baby, this is his quote, every single baby, 100% of all those diagnosed with Down syndrome are aborted. I I don't even know how you could consider that something that's hopeful. But here in the United States, I mean, depending on what study you look at, it's it's anywhere between sixty-five and ninety percent of babies with Down's here in the United States are being aborted. Um, Iceland is bragging that a hundred percent of those babies are being aborted, and I just can't help but think eugenics. I mean, this is this is a hundred percent. The definition of eugenics. You are you are not um, what we want in this society. You are not an ideal child. Um, you know you have special needs, whatever. Um, so we're just going to kill you because we are going to determine what your quality of life will be before you are even born.
1: Yeah, it's Nazi Germany all over again. It is, and I don't I don't understand
0: how people aren't seeing this. I mean, here in the U.S., it's too much. Even if it's 60%, 65%, it's way too much. And I have to say, um, there was a, a bill that was passed in our last legislative session here in Texas. Um, and it was a bill that... Basically, if a woman gets a diagnosis of Down syndrome, uh, they they are given certain information uh, about Down syndrome and and uh, how these children can thrive and how they can be healthy and how uh, mm-hmm. even if they're not healthy, it doesn't matter. You're not guaranteed health in this life. You're not you're not uh, you know, you're not guaranteed perfection in life, and so, um, but it basically gives them information uh, about Down syndrome and and how they can manage how how children with Down syndrome, people with Down syndrome, are happy and thriving, um, and that there are alternatives. You don't have to immediately go to abortion, but that that seems to be, um. The typical response of many obstetricians if a woman gets an adverse diagnosis in the womb, whether it's Downs or whether it's something else.
1: Yeah, Down, Down syndrome, any number of those um, disabilities that you hear about, or if it's uh, any sort of risk to the health of the mother, you'll also hear uh, that basically it's common for an OBGYN to jump to that, recommendation of having an abortion.
0: Yeah. And we talk to women, you know, we, 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 in the pro-life movement, you know, we talk to a lot of women who have, have received an adverse diagnosis and, um, you know, it may be something where it's, the diagnosis would be considered what they call incompatible, incompatible with life. Um, so that means that they'll die, you know, either during delivery or or probably shortly after. Um, it's such a shame to me, though, and I, and you know I'm gonna be honest. I've never had to experience anything like that, but knowing how abortion takes place, like knowing um, the barbarity of abortion and what happens during the abortion procedure, I I seriously cannot imagine saying that that is. That abortion is what I want for my child that I loved, that I cared for in my womb, that I felt move around. I just, I mean, yeah, I know that the heartbreak is going to be there no matter what. I know that, you know, delivering a baby only to, to know that, that that child is probably going to meet death very soon after birth. Like, I, I can't imagine that heartbreak. But knowing what happens to a baby during abortion is so much worse than than being able to see them and hold them, and even if they're only alive for five minutes. But to be able to have that moment with them, um, I just can't imagine because you know the way that they're aborting these babies in late term uh, abortions. They're, you know, they're giving them a, a, um, an overdose of a cardiac medication, a heart medication. I mean, it's taking, it can take, you know, 24 to 48 hours for this baby to die. Um, the baby is overdosing in the mother's womb. Overdose, as we know, is very painful for anyone to go through. Um, these women that have experienced this, that, that now are, you know, speaking out against these, these late-term procedures and abortion in general are saying, you know, um, I could feel my baby struggling and fighting for his life in my womb. I, I mean, I just can't imagine that any woman would say, yeah, that's the route I want to go with my child.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it, it's really tragic because there are so much um, outer outer influences that are, um, I think, really pressuring these mothers Uh, I I mean I know people personally and I know friends of friends who have had to go through something like this and the justification if someone chooses to abort that child is almost always identical and it has to do with um, essentially no one wants to say this no one wants to hear this but essentially what it comes down to is the the parents thinking about themselves Um, they're thinking about how they would rather just get this over with now rather than having to go through suffering longer Um, you know they may they may say something about well it's not right for the baby because the baby might have to suffer um, you know after the baby is born because it's not going to be like you said perfect it's not going to be that ideal healthy child that they envisioned and so but really when it comes down to it that that just shows that we don't know how to embrace suffering when it comes. We don't know how to deal with difficult situations, and we would rather just we would rather just kind of justify the ending of that life. Which, no matter what it what the circumstances are, the bottom line is it's ending a life. You're choosing and taking that into your own hands to end that life, rather than letting um, giving that child a chance, whether. They have a diagnosis of only being alive for so long after they're born, or whether you know they might live uh, a long life but have a disability their whole life. But you're you're basically deciding whether or not that child is even going to get a chance, which is really it's really sad. And that's not to say again that it's going to be easy if you choose life because, like you said, heartbreak is going to be involved. But that doesn't justify deciding to end that child's life.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I just think it, it shows really where we are as a society here. But, but I mean, just when you think well, things aren't worse, then things aren't worse anywhere. You know, things are not as bad anywhere as they are in the United States. Um, we see Iceland. So, um, Iceland is actually far. And, and actually, um, Holland. Holland mm-hmm. Is looking to pass legislation that would legalize infanticide the first 12 months of life after birth. I mean, and you know, they've got they have insane uh, euthanasia policies. You know, I mean, if you're over 60, like you might as well just take this euthanasia pill and off yourself. Um, Lots to talk about assisted suicide. I'm not an expert at that at all, but that's certainly a pro life issue. Um, I think that goes back, though, to your point, Heather, about this fear of suffering that we have in our society. Like, we don't want to suffer. We don't want to suffer with a terminal illness. We don't want to, you know, suffer with this cancer. We don't want to suffer with this brain tumor. We don't, Whatever. And so um, we just opt to kill. And uh, there are many other countries that are actually far ahead of us um, on the assisted suicide issue. Um, but it's coming. I mean, it, Washington, D.C., uh, Washington State, uh, you know, many different – it's sweeping across the country, many, many different states passing legislation um, to legalize assisted suicide um, in the U.S. It's really disgusting. Um,
1: that's, that's just the next step, though, when you're talking about, well, now let's, let's legalize infanticide. Well, if we're going to be consistent – you know, if abortion is okay late term, if abortion is okay at nine months, right before the baby's born, then that seems to be the logical why not? Next step. Why, why not infanticide? Why not?
0: I I worked with a an abortion doctor who was um, he was Hungarian originally, um, but he told me one time in the car, uh, I believe that infanticide should be legal through the first twenty 24 months of life after birth. And I'm like, I remember I just, I asked him, I said, so why not 25? Why? I mean, like what's the magical difference between 24 and 25 months? And his answer is so not profound. Um, he said, well, you have to stop somewhere. That, that was the answer. So great. Good thinking that out. Um, speaking of, Annoying um, and disgusting Barbara Bush not the old Barbara Bush the young Barbara Bush uh, George W. Bush's daughter. I'm sure George W. is like banging his head against the wall right now somewhere um, maybe in a padded room but he his daughter is uh, going to be speaking for Planned Parenthood. Um, She says that she is proud to stand with Planned Parenthood, and she said that Planned Parenthood is a one-stop shop, which actually made me laugh
1: <laughs> yeah, when I read it. Laugh.
0: Yeah, that actually made me laugh because um, <laughs> there's—I mean, there's really nothing uh, about Planned Parenthood that is comprehensive. Uh, they're not providing comprehensive help to women. They're certainly not a one-stop shop.
1: If they're a one-stop shop, why do they have to constantly refer out for several other services?
0: Yeah, exactly. So, um, but I just thought, you know, Barb's Babs, I wonder how many times you have visited a Planned Parenthood. I'm going to guess never. I'm going to guess that Barbara Pierce Bush has never entered a Planned Parenthood facility because why would she? That would be ridiculous. Because she always ha- she has she has access to healthcare whenever she wants it. The best doctor she wants, whatever she wants, she has access to it. So how can you, Barbara Bush, say that you know that Planned Parenthood is a one stop shop for women? You've never even been there, and this is just another example of sort of the the elite talking about things they know nothing about. Mm-hmm. Um, well
1: they have they have mammograms, right? And <laughs> yeah, right. prenatal care at all their locations. Right, yeah. yeah.
0: All, that, all that all those mammograms. Um, so I, but I mean we see this all the time. It's like people like if people that support Point Parent like Ashley D- Ashley Judd and Madonna, you know, these people that speak out, yeah. When's the last time you walked into a Planned Parenthood clinic? They have no idea what Planned Parenthood is about, what they provide. It's just more of, uh, you know, they're listening to talking points that are out there in the media. And instead of actually looking for the information themselves, um, they're just listening to whatever Cecile Richards is saying, uh, which is, absolutely ridiculous. I feel I actually I love George W Bush. I think he's he cracks me up every time I see him. Um I actually feel really bad for him right now. I feel um really bad that he's sort of being put through this. I felt bad for him though when when his wife, when Laura Bush came out with her biography or whatever. Um and she said in the in the biography that she was pro-choice, um, but she didn't want to say anything publicly whenever he was in office because he is pro-life. Uh, then his mother-in-law, uh, the old Barbara Bush, uh, she, I hate to refer to somebody the, like that, the but elder, the Barbara wiser. Bush. I can't say wiser, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she she is also pro-choice. Now his one of his daughters is speaking for Blair. I just feel like poor guy. Like he's just gonna want to cover his head with a poncho. Yeah, that's probably why he did that at the inauguration. So
1: <laughs> that's why. That's what he was thinking.
0: He's like, I just gotta. Yeah, I gotta cover myself up right now. It's embarrassing. Um, speaking of embarrassing, this is embarrassing. That we live in a country where, and I love our country, so I'm I'm not ever dogging our country, but it is embarrassing that we do not have laws on the books that protect women who have been raped from having to share custody with their rapist.
1: Which a lot of people actually don't know. A lot of people that I talk to, when I say that, they have... No idea that that's even a possibility and can't fathom why that would even be legal to allow a rapist to have custody of his child.
0: But it's happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know women who are having to share custody currently with their rapist. It is so disgusting. It is so sick. Um,
1: But they don't have any say about the abortion if she wants to have an abortion.
0: That's right. No, no. Um, I, I, I can't believe that we have not already, this was brought up really heavily, uh, in, in the media and, and really talked about, I mean, probably for the past four or five years, we are still at a place where about half of the states don't have laws protecting these women on their books, um, in their state, in their state legislature. And I don't understand it. I don't understand why pro-life groups are not picking this up as a top-priority legislative issue during session. Because for me, if I was a woman who was raped and then conceived from that rape and lived in a state or heard stories where women are having to share custody with their rapist, I absolutely understand why a woman would walk into an abortion clinic and have an abortion. Because they would be feeling like they are protecting their child from a rapist. I mean, for me, this is a pro-life issue. And people say, you know, and, and there's a lot of people that are on board with it. Planned Parenthood is supporting it. Um, National Organization for Women is supporting this legislation. Uh, you know, now uh, no, NARAL. You know, all these different... Pro-choice groups are supporting this, not because they think it's a pro-life issue, not at all. They just think it's a woman's issue. But as a pro-life person, I can definitely see how this could influence a woman's decision to have an abortion.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Um, and so I guess I'm calling on, you know, these these state groups. Um, why does National Rights Life pick this up? Why is this a model legislation for National Rights of Life or for Americans United for Life or Susan B. Anthony so we're, like why aren't these national groups saying, hey guys, um, hey, all of you people that have state chapters in our name, we're gonna write up some model legislation for you, and this needs to be a top agenda item for your next legislative session.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't I don't understand. Um, you know, we're <laughs> We're fighting with bills that will never hold up in a federal court challenge, but something that actually is practical, makes sense, and and is protecting women and their children. We're we're not talking about it at all. We're not going to do anything about that at all. Um, it's frustrating for me. So uh, I am hoping that there are people with these organizations that are listening to this and are willing to take this on. Um, as a priority because it should be a priority Uh, because it's it's not just about I mean, because yeah, this is protecting the child but this is, the pro-life movement is not just about protecting the babies it's about protecting their moms too And, uh, and we need to be able to provide support for them whenever we can and this is one way that we can do it this woman's already been through an extremely traumatic situation being sexually assaulted she does not need to worry about having to share custody with her freaking rapist.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And isn't it true, despite uh, popular belief, isn't it true, Abby, that most women uh, who conceive and rape actually do choose life uh, more than women who conceive and rape abort? Yeah, mother? that's right.
0: So the majority of women, uh, overwhelming majority of women, who conceive from rape, um, they choose to parent the next category of women choose to place for adoption and the very last category, uh, very very last small percentage of women actually choose to abort. Now, that's not what pro-choicers would have you believe. I mean, my goodness, if you talk to a pro-choicer, I mean, basically, they're only pro-choice for those those women that have been raped. Ugh. Um, it's just not... It's ridiculous. Um, it, it Because it's, it's not about, you know... Planned Parenthood and the abortion movement and the abortion lobby. They, they talk a good game about all these exceptions. You know, what, what happens if we make abortion leave? What happens to all these women conceive them? right? Well, you know, they'll probably continue to parent their children just like the majority of them have been.
1: Right. That, that's, a, that's an argument I hear all the time. Uh, I see I see people jump to that on social media, in different blogs and news, news articles. That, that's one of the first things they jump to is that we have to have abortion legal because of all the women that are conceiving in rape. And there is this either blatant assumption or or underlying um, Im- implication in their words that women who are are raped and conceive in rape, of course, are going to choose abortion. And, and, and again, therefore, that's why we should... Make abortion legal. I, I actually saw something the other day where a woman was saying um, it, it had to do with actually forced abortions, which is, which is I know even a, another topic. But you know, she was saying that um, oh that that term to her was like forced abortion. Are you kidding? That doesn't make any sense with uh, with women who are raped. Of course, uh, of course, they're going to have an abortion. And I thought. No, not of course, and I actually know people and have acquaintances and friends that did conceive in uh, not-so-great circumstances and chose to parent and were forced or almost forced into getting an abortion. Yes, it happens, and to be in denial about that is just ridiculous. Well, and you guys had I mean you guys
0: had a situation one time on the sidewalk where a mom was physically dragging her daughter into the abortion facility.
1: Right. Not not an exaggeration at all. There were volunteers that were actually watching as all this was happening and obviously there's nothing um, that we can do about that um, physically in terms of, you know, running onto the property and, and trying to pull away or anything like that. Um, the, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a young teenage girl, and she, she and her boyfriend both wanted the baby. Uh, they didn't plan to get pregnant, but once she found out she was pregnant, she did not want to have an abortion. The mother was, um, was dragged her out of the car. She refused to go. She ended up pulling her. She was on the ground, and she was being dragged. And so uh, the story, that particular story, thankfully does have a happy ending because the police were called. Uh, we did do you know, everything that we could. We observed and recorded the situation, called the police, and police did come. And uh, the young girl was able to, uh, was able to escape and, and run over to the, the prayer volunteers on the sidewalk and explain to them, you know, I don't want, I don't want this abortion and she's trying to force me. And so the police officers were able to intervene, a um, pro bono attorney group was able to intervene for her and defend her so that she, her her right, which Roe versus Wade grants, mm-hmm. despite what <laughs> people think and pro-choicers don't want to admit, but it does grant the right to have a baby as well as the right to have abortion. And so even for a teenage uh, minor girl. And so... She did uh, was defended and was able to have her baby. And the mother, her mother did come around later on. Um, and by the time the baby was born in the hospital, had a completely different change of heart and change of attitude. But that stuff, uh, that happens more often than people think. And it's really sad.
0: Yeah, we're lucky here in Texas. We have uh, the group that defended this gal. Uh, the name of that group is Texas Center for Defense of Life. And, uh, you know, honestly, we need groups like this in every state that are willing to take on these cases for uh, these minor girls who are being forced. I just I just got a um, an email the other day from a girl that's preg- or from no, from another woman who knows this family girl is young. Um, she is uh, pregnant, having complications with the pregnancy, needed to be seen at the emergency room, thought she may be having a miscarriage, Um, needed to be seen. The father would not allow her to be seen at the hospital because he was mad at her because she got pregnant and he was like, well, this is what you get. This is what you deserve. And the... The ambulance was called. The EMTs would not take her because her father wasn't giving permission for her to go to the hospital. Now, I don't even know. I'm not even sure that that's necessarily legal. Um, I talked to a friend of mine who is a paramedic. He says, you know, basically if she's pregnant, um, then she is in charge of the care of her baby. So they should have probably taken her. Um, because essentially if you're, if you're pregnant in a a minor, in in the eyes of the law, you're, you're sort of considered like an emancipated minor. Um, but I guess these EMTs were so nervous because the dad was absolutely insisting that they not take her and not giving permission. So, I mean, who knows what happened to that? I don't know what happened to this young girl, but I said, you know, she needs to get in contact with, with a group of. With an attorney or a group of attorneys that will help her, unfortunately, um, there's really not very many groups like Texas Center for Defensive Life that will um, that will be able to intervene in these types of situations. And uh, I, you know, I don't know what happened, but anyway, it's un, it's unfortunate because there are so many girls that are not being taken care of properly, not getting the proper care. Um, Or they're being forced to abort against their wishes. Dr. David Reardon came out with a study that said about 64% of women um, who have abortions state that they felt forced or coerced into having abortions. And I would bet that a large percentage of those felt forced or coerced by their parents. And so that's why we need good legislation out there and we need good legal teams out there Uh, That can support these moms because if they are pregnant, they do have rights and they cannot be forced into having an abortion. Um, So anyway, yes, forced abortion is an issue. It is happening. We know people that it's happened to even I mean, we even know people who were forced by clinic staff who were literally held down by clinic staff and forced To have abortions, which is something that's hard for me to understand. But uh, I believe them because, not because I ever saw anything like that, but um, because if they're really desperate to meet that quota, to meet that abortion quota, to meet that bottom line, you know, I think that they just take liberties with the patient. Once the patient's on the table, they're like, oh, you're here. We've got you now. There's no turning back. Um, You're stuck here.
1: There's nobody, there's no checks and balances. There's nobody to there at the clinic to say, oh, wait, you can't do that. Stop that. And and unfortunately, what we find so often in these cases, you know, when we hear these stories from these women later is they are too afraid to come forward, you know, to do something legal, uh, you know, about this because they're embarrassed. They don't want to admit that they, you know, even chose abortion a lot of times or, or they just don't want to deal with, you know, the, the the shame that they would get from their family, from their friends, from the public, and they're they're just kind of afraid to admit things like that. And so they and, and sometimes they don't even know the right steps to take, even if they wanted to. So there's just so many clinics and staff that that get away with this stuff. But I, I think
0: it is shame that keeps them quiet, mm-hmm. these women. Yeah, You know, they don't want to come forward. I mean, we saw all the time in our clinic, we would botch an abortion. We would leave, you know, parts of the baby in the woman's uterus. She would develop a very serious infection, whatever it may be. And they don't come forward because they don't want to have to get on a stand and say, I had an abortion. So the abortion industry pays them off with a very little amount of money. And we're talking about $500 maybe. Um, to shut them up. They sign a disclosure statement. You know, to a 20-year-old girl, you're giving her a check for five to $700. That seems like a lot of money. Um,
1: and so they're quiet about it. That goes along, too, with the idea that, you know, abortion is supposed to be this quick fix and this quick solution so that you can move on with your life. A lot of women, regardless of whether they uh, were really certain about getting the abortion or were very uncertain and got it anyway, they want to move on. They don't want to think about it anymore. And so if they get in this legal battle, that's their thinking a lot of times not going to help them move on. It's going to drag it out, and they would rather just not deal with that. So, yeah, like you said, to somebody especially who's very young and, and maybe vulnerable that just wants to get it over with, they might take that payoff and, and run.
0: Yep, and uh, we see that happening all the time. So... Um... So, uh, Heather, uh, if you didn't hear last week, runs the Central Texas Coalition for Life. Um, they hold prayer vigils outside of um, our two abortion facilities that we have still in Austin, Texas. Um, how's that going?
1: Well, uh we just started a, another 40 Days for Life campaign, and uh, we also have several really amazing dedicated volunteers that go out in between campaigns. Um, we've seen a lot of amazing results. Just in the last two days, we've already had uh, multiple referrals, women stopping and talking to us. We have this one sign that we're really proud of that says, ask me about free, pre- free pregnancy tests and free sonograms. It's by far our most effective sign that gets the most uh, people to stop and talk with us. And we are very fortunate that we have several pregnancy centers nearby. And so we're able to refer to those pregnancy centers. But we we actually just had a pro-life clinic that opened up nearby one of our abortion facilities. And so uh, we've already walked a couple of women over to that clinic, which has been really amazing. And I'm just, I'm kind of waiting, you know, for... Uh, a reaction from the abortion facilities because anytime really good stuff like this starts happening, they start reacting and trying to do things to discourage us. So um, I
0: don't know why they're pro-choice, right? And they should be for people making other choices.
1: Exactly. So, but we're very blessed. We've seen uh, we've seen several abortion workers in our community that have actually had conversions and uh, either come to us to which we then quickly refer them to. And then there are none, which is the ministry that Abby started for abortion workers to leave, um, or they'll go directly to um, Abby's ministry, uh, which is which is amazing. So,
0: yeah. And uh, 40 H for Life is great and all, but let's talk about day 41
1: Mm
0: -hmm. because look, I'm just going to give give everybody sort of a brief overview of what happened at our clinic. Uh, during 40 Days for Life. 40 Days for Life happens twice a year. So we've got 80 days, basically, of prayer coverage. Uh, we've got more days that aren't covered um, than are covered. Uh, we would gear up for 40 Days for Life. We knew what was happening. We had escorts every day during business hours um, to keep women from talking to um the, the sidewalk advocates. Um, and then day 41, nobody was there, generally. I mean, the large groups of people that came weren't there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't have to have escorts there anymore. Uh, it was just sort of business as usual. And um, I think we need to talk more about that. Because as great as it is to have 80 days of prayer coverage... In front of these abortion facilities, um, they're prepared for it. They're ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to we've got to make a better effort of being out at these clinics outside of these eighty days, and that's that's what we're what you're doing at the Central Texas Coalition for Life is you know organizing volunteers throughout the year. Um, but I think we're 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 really we're missing. Uh, some key opportunities here if we're out there for 40 days or for 80 days during the year and we're not doing anything else on any other days.
1: Right, right. And I think it, it, there's something about that day 40 that is instilled uh, by default in a lot of people's minds where it's, it's seen as a finish line. And so, and I'm, I'm totally guilty of this too because I remember when I first started volunteering in Bryan College Station uh, for 40 Days for Life, this was my mindset. I thought, okay, I just got to go these next six weeks and then day 40 it's done and I'll have more free time and I'll be able to do this, this, and this. And I was a student at the time, but still, um, I, I remember getting to that point and then thinking, no, that's not okay. Like I made, I made this time in my schedule. I made this commitment. There's, I really have no good reason not to keep this commitment. And so Uh, I would, I would have to talk myself into it sometimes, but then I would realize like how important it was and how bad it was. And it's interesting that you, that you say that actually, because every single, so I've done 21 campaigns now and I, every single time we get towards the end of another 40 days for life campaign, I get similar questions from people. Oh, the campaign's almost done. I bet you can't wait. I bet you're so excited. And my response is always, I actually hate day 41. It, it is like one of the worst days of the year for me. And people are like, oh, well, what are you talking about? I don't like it because we don't have that full 12-hour-a-day coverage anymore. And, and I, have to, I have to work harder just to try to get people to come out to the sidewalks. And so it is something that, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's exhausting, you know doing that especially if you live farther away from your abortion facility but it's so necessary and it's one of those things that even if you can't go out every single week anymore uh, what we started doing that we found to be pretty effective in getting increasing the numbers of volunteers in between campaigns is to, to is to really take ownership and say that you're going to make an appointment with God on the sidewalk because Abby, you've said this many times before in your talks, and I've heard other people say this. I have said this. You know, we're adults. We have appointments that we make all the time. We have hair appointments. We have doctor's appointments. Okay, unless you're a super irresponsible adult, you keep those appointments. You go to them. You write them down in your planner if you're like me because I don't trust electronics that much still. Or you Especially put it your... hair appointments. <laughs> right.
0: I'm not going to miss a hair appointment. Exactly. Yeah.
1: You put it in your Google account. You do whatever you can and you keep that appointment. Do that on the sidewalk. Make that a priority. Make that an appointment. We are busy. Everybody has a lot going on. We have school, work, family, whatever it is, all these other commitments. But we prioritize what is important. And when you have an abortion facility, you have a facility in your community that is taking the lives of children year-round, are you really going to say, eh, I just don't have time to do anything about that? This is not like, you know, of course there's lots of tragedies and lots of problems across the world. This is not, you know, children starving in a foreign country that you you may never see or hear about. These are children in our own backyard. Yeah, it's right here. It's, 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 it's right people here. in our community. It's people who are suffering in our churches, who are contemplating taking the lives of their children. It is happening in our own backyard. And so when we think about that, and then think about, my goodness, how many hours a week do we each spend scrolling mindlessly through news feeds, on social media, on whatever? Take one hour and go and spend it on the sidewalk. Or if you can't do an entire hour because you have a lunch break at work, you can only do 45 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever. Just do it because I know Abby has said this before. I know so many of the former workers that have come out of the abortion industry have said this. When people are on the sidewalk peacefully, it, it is so powerful. It's powerful to the, the the patients inside the abortion facility. It's powerful to the workers. It's powerful to the people driving by. It doesn't mean that everybody's all of a sudden going to agree with you and, and change their mind about abortion if they like abortion, but it means that you're pricking their conscience. And that's important. And that's what we need to keep doing. And we need to keep, st- and again, hello, we need to let women know that there is a community of support that's here for her. So, you know, having that information to offer for her, because at least at that point, she can't say that she didn't know. And that's what a lot of women that um, that work in, in pregnancy centers that counsel women specifically will say That's so many women told them, you know, when they hear this information, why didn't anybody tell me this before? I didn't know this. I didn't know about how, you know, you could contract all these STDs by being, you know, by having multiple sexual partners. I didn't know that there was a higher risk of getting an unplanned pregnancy. I didn't know these things. I didn't know there was a place to help me if I did get an unplanned pregnancy. And so at least we can be there to say we are here and give them that chance.
0: Well, and I'll tell you what else. I mean, we, we talk a lot about this sort of stuff and, you know, with our workers. And, and um, yes, they say sidewalk advocacy is, is very powerful. Um, they all say that if done correctly, and that's a whole nother show. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing they say is that to them inside the clinics, 40 Days for Life was a joke because day 41 came. And nobody was on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. And it was like a joke to them. They were like, well, well, come on. Where's all the the pro-lifers, right? Like, we're still here. We're still performing abortions. We're still killing babies, right? And where are the pro-lifers? It's like day 41 comes and they don't care about abortion anymore. Or like, they need a break. Let me tell you something. If your child was fighting for his or her life, you would never take a break. You would never say, God, I'm so tired of fighting for my kid's life. I'm just going to take the day off. I'm going to take the week off. I'm going to take the next 100 days off. I mean, you would not do that. Well, friends, these these are our children. As, As Christians, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are innocent victims. And we need to be out there to be a light, to be a support, and to be a voice for them. And hello, to be a voice for some of their mothers who were feeling coerced or forced like we just talked about. Um, And so, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I think people feel like very, um, (laughs) they feel like very righteous. You know, like, oh, I went out and I participated in a prayer hour, you know, during these 40 days. Good for you. What are you going to do the other, you know, 200 plus days of the year um, when... You may be standing out there alone. You know, you may not. You may not have all of the support around you of a, a traditional campaign. Are you still going to go? Are you still going to go out there and and stand up for these children and reach out to their moms? So, I just want to talk about that for a minute. Let's go to our Q questions. A. Our Q and A. Ba, 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 ba. All right, so Melissa, I don't know how to say that last name. How do you say it? I don't
1: know. No,
0: Aos, Aos. Let's go with Aos. Aos, okay. Um, we're gonna make you a little Spanish, Melissa Aos. Um, this sounds Spanish, right? A little bit. No, no okay, really. <laughs> whatever. Um, okay, Melissa, ask how do we. As peaceful, prayerful opposers of abortion, separate ourselves from the hostile, violent, and angry abortion protesters, especially outside of the abortion clinics? This is a question that I'm asked all the time. You know what's funny to me, though? Is anytime I talk about like angry pro lifers on the sidewalk, there's always like a small group of pro lifers that go, I have never experienced that. I don't really believe that's happening. Hmm. I'm like, then you haven't been out on, this, <laughs> on the sidewalk <laughs> because there are groups of people and people would like, the pro-life movement would like to think that they're small groups of people, but they're actually not as small as we'd like to like to believe. There are, you know, this more radical contingent of, and they don't even consider themselves pro-life. They consider themselves anti-abortion. is fine. I'm anti-abortion too, but um they're not there to help the women they're sure as heck not there to help the clinic workers they are there because they are for the babies period um they're all about preaching fire and brimstone you're gonna go to hell if you have an abortion um, you know sc- screaming scripture across a bullhorn because that's what Jesus would do mm-hmm. um, condemning women who are walking out having abortions and they'll say they're not condemning but there, um, so and and they come out to these to these groups and and you had a, you were training a group of sidewalk advocates. Um, mm-hmm. Where was that?
1: Yeah, in Kansas City,
0: Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And there was a group that came out while you were there, right?
1: Yeah, that that was actually so. I'm glad this is a great question because I get this question too, and I make sure to address this everywhere I go, every training that I give. Um, this is. This is difficult. Okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put I'm not gonna say otherwise. It this is difficult to be a pro lifer at this point and because people sometimes are not gonna ha- are can't help but associate you with them, and that is the last thing that we want. Because we want women to know that we actually do care about them. But what I have what I have to say and what I tell people is this is all the more reason you have to be out there. You may feel uncomfortable. You may not like seeing their signs and hearing their words and witnessing their approach. You have to be there all the more reason for you to be there. And at this point, honestly, these, these people are our brothers and sisters in Christ too, as much as we might, may dislike them. And the way that I see it is that at that point I'm there just as much for them as well, because now I need to pray for them and a conversion of their heart. I mean, we all need to pray for conversion of heart constantly towards, towards Christ for those of us who, uh, who are faithful and, and Christian. And, and so I see this as I need to pray for them because there is some sort of hardness of heart there. There is something behind that, that is causing them to be so angry uh, to where they are not seeing the enemy as the enemy, but they're seeing these people as the enemy. And that is not okay because that's not what God calls us to do. And so just real quickly, just to give you an example, the situation in Kansas City, I was training this group of students and there was a group that was uh, that was uh, very radical, uh, three individuals, and they, they had the big giant graphic signs of aborted babies, and they had a bullhorn, and they were yelling. Uh, they yelled at every woman that walked into the clinic, every boyfriend that walked in with her uh, or a partner, and they yelled at the abortion workers, and they got into a shouting match with the abortion doctor. And um, apparently this was like a regular thing. And the students were very concerned because they wanted to have an effect but they just didn't know how to. They, they just they thought it was actually impossible to do anything good. And they really didn't want to even be on the sidewalk. And so I kind of told them the same thing. No, you have to be on the sidewalk all the more reason. Because you have to show these women that somebody cares. Because clearly these three angry men that are out there don't care about helping these women. And so we have to be out there. If we truly care about them, we have to rise above that. We have to go despite our, our fear and our, um, you know, reach stepping out of our comfort level. And we have to be there for these women and offering them places because there were pregnancy centers in this area. There, there was one very nearby. I was like, you've got to tell them that you've got to be there and you've got to show them. And so I, I, you know, my advice is don't engage with them. I have been to many, many cities and have encountered individuals in groups like this. They're almost all the same they are not there to seek the truth and to have dialogue. They're there to get into shouting matches and they're there to condemn. Um, and they especially don't like certain groups of Christians, Catholics in particular. They are a lot of times there to yell at Catholic people. And so it, the sidewalk's not the place to get into a, a debate with them. So what we ended up doing was we, we all prayed together, the students and I, we prayed together and I decided, um, you know, we, tried I tried reaching out to the women as they were walking by us before they got yelled at um, but it was it was difficult but I tried I was there and I tried anyway and then once everybody was done coming in uh, that there was a security guard out there and so the the guys were the angry uh, aggressive people were yelling at the security guard. I walked over and I started talking to him. Now he didn't trust me at first he kind of put me in the same box with the crazy people. Okay, fine. I understand that. But I persisted and I kept on talking to him and I just asked questions and I was like and I I was upfront. I said, "I am sorry that you're being yelled at right now. That's not my intention and these people don't represent me. I, I really am here because I care about you and I just want you to know that." And you know, so I I started talking a little bit, started asking him questions and he his demeanor changed. We talked for about 20 minutes. His demeanor completely changed. He completely relaxed. He even walked a little bit closer to talk to me. And by the end of it, we had a decent conversation and he uh, thanked me for being there. And, uh, you know, and I I got him to say some pretty interesting things, to admit some pretty interesting things. And so after the conversation, I went back over and prayed with the students and told them that it was important that we stayed longer than the angry, um, aggressive group that was out there. And I said, you'll see why. And just wait. And so we did. We waited them out. We prayed. And, of course, we wanted to be there um, until all the women were out too, to at least offer them some post-abortion healing, uh, if nothing else, and to show them that we really did care about them. And so the, uh, the angry group eventually left. And uh, it's just this most amazing thing. This boyfriend of a girl that had had an abortion in the clinic, he walked out after a while. He walked up to the security guard. The security guard looked at him funny. What do you want? And um, the the boyfriend was basically waiting to be escorted. He was like, hey, man, I got to go back to my car. Well, he was waiting to be escorted because he was escorted in to protect him from the aggressive, angry people that were yelling at them. And the security guard looks at him, shakes his head, looks over at us and says, oh, no, man, you don't have to worry about them. They're fine. And I looked over at that student group and I said, that is very telling, you guys. That is why we have to be here. And that boyfriend walked past us and we reached out to him and he totally was open to talking to us. He thanked us for being there, he took information and we had a couple of other encounters similarly after that and we were able to reach out to them. And that security guard came over later and started having a conversation with the students they had never talked with him before that. They were blown away that they it was even possible to have a conversation. And I told them all it takes is persistence. It is not going to be easy. It makes it more difficult for us. All the more reason to be out there. So that's what I would say to you. Try to separate yourselves from them physically as much as possible. Have loving signs that say, we care about you. We can help talk to us, you know, or free pregnancy tests or whatever it is. Um, but have inviting signs Smile, wave, introduce yourself, and and put it out there. Say, "Hey, I'm sorry that this group is yelling at you. Uh, we really do care about you. That's not our, our approach, and we want you to know that we're here to help you." So, yeah,
0: and that that was what I was going to say. Uh, don't be afraid to apologize for this bad behavior that that you're experiencing, and and witnessing, and that they're experiencing. These women are experiencing as well. Um, and, you know, what we do at End There Were None, when we hear, you know, that there's a crazy group out in front of a, a clinic, we send an apology letter into the clinic to the workers just to let them know, we're so sorry that you're being treated this way. You know, we do care about you. We're not all like this. You know, we, we really do care about you. Um, we are a safe place for you to turn. So don't be afraid to To apologize and say I am so sorry you're having to listen to them and deal with them. I'm not with them. Um, you know I'm here because I just want to offer you some alternatives, give you some information, whatever. Um, the other thing too that I've told people is sometimes if there's a group of you that goes out there, um, yes, definitely try to separate yourself physically for, from them, but also try to separate yourself visually from them so you can get like a t-shirt like all the same color t-shirt uh matching t-shirt or something and all of you guys sort of be in a group together um so that there's a clear distinction um you know from the other group you guys from the other group um and and what Heather says so important do not engage with them okay and this is why number one they don't want to, they're not trying to engage with you for anything positive, okay? They're trying to make you mad. They're trying to make it so that you won't go out there anymore. And that is the worst thing. I hear from people all the time, they're like, well, I just don't go out anymore. No, that's the wrong thing to do. <laughs> like, you need to be out there um, more than ever if you have a, a crazy group of people out there. Um, but I think that it's important Um. Well, shoot! I lost my train of thought. Where was I going with that, <laughs> it,
1: it is important, yeah. It, it is important for us to be out there, and it's to me, it's like you know what? This isn't for sissies. Like, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be tough. It is. It is going to be embarrassing. It's going to make you uncomfortable, especially if you have that personality type that you are non-confrontational. That might be even extra difficult for you, but it is so worth it to let women know. That you are there and that you care for them.
0: This is what I was going to say. Don't engage with these people. And this is why. When people inside the clinic, whether it's clinic workers or people that are there for appointments, if they see you out there talking to them, they don't know what you're talking about. Unless you're like in a throw-down fist fight, (laughs) they don't know that you may be disagreeing with them.
1: Don't get into it on fist fights. That's probably a good idea, I mean, it's
0: whatever. Okay. (laughs) All right. I guess you shouldn't do that. Okay. But all they see are two people that they both see as anti-choice, anti-them, right? Mm -hmm. All they see are two people dialoguing and engaging with each other. So the only thing that they, the only assumption that they can make from that is that you two are in cahoots. That you're friends with each other, right? So don't... Engage with them at all. Do not have any dialogue with them. Do not talk with them. Do not answer questions that they might give to you. Because from the from the inside looking out, if people see you guys talking to each other, they don't know what's going on. They don't know if you're having a disagreement. They don't know if you're having an argument. All they see is you're talking to each other, and they're going to assume that you are on the same side. And to be perfectly honest, not all pro-lifers. Are on the same side. Mm-hmm. I am not on the same side of people who go out and yell and condemn women. I'm, I'm, I'm not on their. I'm not on their side. Um, and so we have to make that very clear distinction. So everything Heather said was right. Please keep going out to the clinics. Please do not stop going out to the clinics just because there's people that are sort of nasty out there. They don't. That's exactly what they want. They do not want you out there. Mm -hmm. um
1: so and I would say just to just to close that off if you know anybody that's like that that has that aggressive or angry approach I mean if you really you know are called to to talk to them try, try to talk with them elsewhere just don't do it on the sidewalk again for all the reasons that we've talked about you know, If you really think that you might be able to find some common ground with this person and get them to understand how important it is to have a peaceful and approachable <laughs> uh, manner outside, then meet them for coffee, go somewhere else, meet them at church, whatever, and talk to them if they are truly willing to talk to you. And if they are, that's great. Uh, I have met a few. Not very many, but I have met a few. Uh, the sidewalk, again, just not the place for it. So.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a good point. If you think that maybe there are some people in that group that are reasonable that you'd like to talk with outside of, you know, being on the on the sidewalk, because you know what, you're not on the sidewalk to to be in social interactions anyway. Um, you're out there to pray and and to witness the women walking in, so it's not your social hour um, in the first place. But uh, I think that that's right. You need to. Um, there might be some people that are are willing to listen to your opinion or, or, you know, your way of thinking. And so, um, but that's not the right place to do it. You know, ask them if they'd like to go get coffee, go to dinner, um, somewhere away from the clinic where other people are watching you and, and seeing you engage. So, um, I think I think we should probably close it up because we've been at this a little over an hour and the other questions people ask are like super complicated. And it'll <laughs> take a long time. <laughs> take a long time to answer. So um any closing thoughts, Heather?
1: Um I I just wanna say keep going. Um and everybody has a place. So um, you know, if, if If you can help in a pregnancy center, please do it. And and please try to educate yourself as much as you can. Uh, What I find is there's a lot of people in general in the pro-life movement that are so passionate and really do truly care for helping women and children, helping their families. Um, But we tend to be in in little bubbles. And so try to stay on top of the issues and on what's going on with the pro-life movement if you are able to find a good um, pro-life legislative group in your state to see what, uh, what the agenda is for the session and, you know, make those phone calls to your representatives, whatever it is that's necessary to promote the pro-life bills that are being uh, proposed, you know, the, the, the bills that, especially the ones that have a shot, uh, definitely call and, and encourage and promote those. Um, but but do something and yes it is exhausting but above all this is a spiritual battle so just remember to uh, to continue to pray uh, through all of this and make sure that you're spiritually preparing for this because this can if you're not careful this can really uh, this is a heavy issue and so this can weigh you down, this can really get to you, this can be um, to the point where it becomes emotionally and physically exhausting and so Make sure that you're always taking that time to not just um, petition the Lord for all of your wants, but thank him for uh, the gifts that we have every day and just try to be Christ to everyone you
0: see. That is a good word. And on that, we will um, close it out. And thank you so much, Heather, for being on uh, the podcast with me. And this is Abby Johnson with Mistakes Out Loud, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks.